Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, all kinds of thoughts coming up. Um, I recently just celebrated my six months of marriage. Oh, awesome. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so lots of learning things that have come up throughout my life and, and lots of changes there. And um, I want to get to something that maybe it's the way I was taught. Maybe it's because I'm a guy. Maybe it's because I went to an all-guy high school. I don't know. But one of the things that was taught to me throughout, and again, probably specific to me since it was taught to me, was that essentially every decision I made based upon emotion was the wrong decision. And we've talked in the last couple of months or so about anger, um, that being one of the emotions that, that will lead to wrong decisions. And the reason I bring this up here after starting with the fact that it's been six months of marriage is that I'm not wired, I'm wired that way, but other people aren't always wired that way, where I try to funnel emotion out of the vast majority of my decisions. You know, we mentioned in the last cast about how I had that contractor issue and getting emotion out of that decision kind of made it better. And I'm trying to to hone in on that. So, but I'm, what I'm finding is I'm not, that's not the normal for everybody else. So I'm bringing this up because I want to know, first off, am I wired wrong in that I'm trying to exclude emotion from my thoughts and decisions and just the flat out that challenges of, of living with someone who is wired through emotion rather than trying to avoid it. So that's the starting point of where I'm at here. And, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person in a marriage who's having this same situation. Well, it's a, it's a really important question. Uh, I think looking at the word emotion helps us. So if you remove the E, there's the word motion. And that has to, it happens to be related to the word motor. And if you remove your motor from your car, How's that going to work out? Yeah, yeah. not going to work out real well. So our emotions are our motors. They make us go. And if we remove our emotions, we're not going to go. So do we remove our emotions? No, we don't um, remove our emotions. Uh, so we need to be able to discern our emotions. We need to be self-aware enough to recognize uh, what is emotional and to be able to hold that up against uh, what is rational. I hope you have never told your wife that the decision to marry her didn't involve any emotions uh, well, because <laughs> I don't think she wanted a cold-hearted decision to make a lifelong commitment to each other because it was rationally the best thing to do. Uh, there's no love there. Well, yeah, well, that's obviously, I, I guess I tried to, I took it a little too far. Obviously, there's some emotion in it, um, obviously. Um, yeah. Well, no, but, but I, I want to say that because I think the kind of message that you took away and, and however that was taught to you and, and wherever you got that from, it's a, it's a common message that people hold on to, that emotions are, emotions are simply to be suspected and never to be trusted. And 
that's a, that's a real distortion. So we need to know our own emotional life. We need to be in touch with it well enough to understand what emotions are going on in us so that we can discern whether these are emotions that are driving us toward a good conclusion or whether these are emotions that are, you know, maybe because of some other wounds that we carry are going to take us in a, in a wrong direction. So anger is another example. You, you mentioned anger. Um, anger is an emotion that we need to be careful about, but it's not, it's not bad in itself. I just heard a nice uh, from Archbishop Shapu's book, Strangers in a Strange Land, where he talks about being Christian in a post-Christian society. And he refers to one of the fathers of the church who says that the two beautiful children of hope are anger and courage. And the reason that anger is a beautiful child of hope is that we have to be angry enough with the way things are to want them to be different. Mm -hmm. we, we shouldn't simply be satisfied with the fact that there are people who are, let's take the extreme examples, who are living in the midst of war, who are being tortured, raped, beaten, who are being, you know, all those extreme examples. We shouldn't be satisfied with the fact that there are poor on our streets, that there are people who have no jobs and no food and no, we should be angry about that. That's a proper use of anger. Anger is properly directed at resisting evil. There, there are evils in our world and we should be angry at them. And so anger moves us and it moves us to take action. Uh, and then likewise, courage gives us the strength to take action, even when it might cause our own suffering. So if we're going to have hope, it's also going to be driven in part by anger and courage. So again, just to make another example that neither attraction on the one side, which is part of your decision to get married, yes. or anger on the other side, which is part of our decision to resist evil, those things are not bad. And so mm. we shouldn't remove them from the question, uh, from the the ref, you know, our reflections or our decisions, they're going to be part of what drives our decisions, and they're going to be a good part of it. So what are the emotions that we should be uh, suspicious of? Well, uh, now sometimes anger comes from defensiveness, mm -hmm. and it's, it's simply my, I'm, I'm getting hurt, and so I put up this defense to protect myself from getting hurt and uh, I get triggered by something, and, and then really I'm taking out on my wife something that's really going back to when I was five, and then I'm, mean, I'm I really am taking out on my mom, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I need to be aware of what's going on in me enough to make those distinctions and say, this is not really about my wife. This is not really about this situation. This is about an issue that I had when I was five, and I need to work through some of that stuff, and I know that I can't trust my angry defensiveness in this moment and maybe I need to take 10 steps back I need to take a deep breath I need to go for a walk I need to settle down and then I'll be able to see more clearly and then I can respond to my wife in what she needs to hear and how we can work together in this situation so uh, in saying that emotions are not bad that's not saying that we should do whatever our emotions are dictating at every moment either mm -hmm. uh, we need some we need some distinctions there we need some discernment we need to see where these things are coming from and, and what's where they're leading us. And so uh, sometimes we talk about, well, really, we want, ideally, our emotions and our reason go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. That 
sometimes our emotions are even dictated by a reason. I see an evil, I judge it as evil, and the emotion of anger to resist the evil wells up in my heart as a, as a result of that. And uh, that's a very mature kind of integration. Or simultaneously, that the, the reasonable resistance uh, toward evil goes together with the, the anger to actually resist that in the moment. And, and I can express that and act on that. But as we're becoming more integrated, which is uh, certainly more than a lifetime project, <laughs> and so there's always going to be a process to that. In the meantime, we need to just become more aware of, um, you know, it's where it's just my craving or it's just my jealousy or it's just my insecurity or it's just my old wounds. or And I need to try and be aware enough of that to not act out of it, maybe take a step back, take a deep breath. Well, I do another example kind of from the other side of um, is when I first started the the job really of going out and finding the houses we want to turn into projects, I would always give people a number the first time I was there in the house, like this is what we'll be able to give you for your property. And what I found is I would get so excited when I was there and in the middle of it that I wouldn't be able to... A, have properly done all of my due diligence of how much it actually will cost to fix up this house. Um, and then, so that has all kinds of business ramifications thereafter. And the other part of it is, is you know, without the time to sit back and, and let it digest, we would overlook things or I wouldn't fully grasp to what I'd get out of it. So I've had overshot and undershot houses before. And... What I found is that there's there's pluses and minuses as I wait until a few days later to, to call them back. So the, the pluses are I've now come from a much more rational place of, all right, this is how much it's going to cost, so this is what we can give you, boom. Um, but I also found that on their side, as the person who, who wants to sell the house, sometimes they want to get it done in that first second and just call it a day. So... Again, that again, that's you know, the I guess the other side of, of the more positive way an emotion could go, but uh, so I guess that's kind of what what I'm trying to more articulate it more so than than just another example, I guess. Well, and that's a beautiful example because your enthusiasm uh, is also a blessing. You know, you're you're energized mm-hmm. by the potential sale and the opportunity, and you're excited about what you're doing, and those are all wonderful things, and so. Uh, another another way to look the the Plato uh, you know Platonic ph- philosophical perspective is that um, r- reason and passion or I'm sorry uh, uh, how does that go anyway the the idea that uh, our passions this is really Thomistic I suppose our passions are like the wind in the sails we know how, we need to know how to catch the wind and steer it appropriately and respond appropriately or it's like the passion is the horse that draws the carriage Mm -hmm. so we need that we need that motor but we need to be able to steer the motor and that's where reason should do you know some of the steering Uh, we we get we allow the emotion to drive things to be the motor that keeps things moving and that enthusiasm that excitement is great but then i need to be able to pull back on that or I need to let it go, or I need to steer it left or steer it right or whatever. And that's where our reason needs to do that. And our reason has to have sufficient freedom 
to do that if, if the, the emotion is sort of overwhelming my reason so that I can't think clearly, then I need to find some, some distance. I need to get some freedom from that emotional drive. But at the same time, I don't want to suppress the emotion and stifle all of that energy. I won't be able to think clearly in that case either. Emotion also helps my thinking. You know, there's a certain euphoria that helps me to think more clearly to a point, and then it sort of takes me over the edge, and I'm, you know, maybe going to make a wrong estimate, like you mm -hmm. said. Yeah. yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> for sure. That was a problem there for a while until I figured it out the, to, to adjust it there. Well, and I, I want to affirm that process because exactly what you did is exactly what we should do. Be aware that self-awareness is so crucial to be able to do something and then realize I was too rash. I was carried away by my emotion in that setting. I'm sure the next house deal I'm going to get emotional again. I need to just take some space and think through it. And then and then act appropriately. So it's that feedback loop that's always so critical. That's that's how we're going to grow: self-awareness, the feedback loop, making corrections, and not being afraid of mistakes. Okay, so we made a mistake. We'll we'll work our way out of it. Yeah, well that happens too. <laughs> sure it does. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes for the bigger, sometimes for the smaller. <laughs> but yes, that that definitely happens too. So just a side question that came out of out of your description there, and and don't really, I mean, it, it applies to to a wide array of things, but you were talking before about about the motor and how to to, to how important it is. How do you teach someone to rev it up and get more going in their life? Because um, I know that I have a wide array of of people that are just going through the motions you know they're basically showing up and and getting their check and going home type thing and a it would be a whole lot more profitable had they you know gone quicker but it just seems like there's just not a desire for anything and it's not even just maybe it's because they don't want to work in construction but it just doesn't seem to be a passion in them at all um so and, and i'm sure that I'm not the only person who's made this observation or, or, you know, there's even times in everyone's life I think you go through this. But my question is, is how do you, to fire it back up, get it back to running on all cylinders again? Well, I'm going to turn to another motor word, motivate. Mm -hmm. And what motivates you? There's a, there's a wonderful assessment that I've become familiar with in the last year called MCORE standing for your motivational core, your core motivations. Mm -hmm. And uh, over you know, a lot of research and a lot of time, they developed, uh, uh, the, fo the folks at Inscape, I think that's what it's called, developed an assessment that they, they sort of boiled out 27 different motivations that people have. And then we have all 27 ranked from 1 to 27. And then kind of like, the top nine are really core, the, the middle nine are more auxiliary, the, the bottom nine are sort of not motivating, um, and then especially the top three are, are really core, core motivations. And it's really fascinating to look at the different things that motivate people. So some people are really motivated by, by the challenge. You know, they want to climb the next peak. They want to take on the next, uh, the next battle. They want to, they want to overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, or, or other people, 
who really want to experience the ideal. They have a clear sense of what the ideal is, and it's not enough to leave it as a thought. I want to feel it. I want to experience it. I want to actually get there. Other people who love to demonstrate new learning, you know, they, they love to learn new things, but they also love to share it with people, and they're really motivated to do that. Other people who love to serve, and just being aware of people's needs and having the chance to fulfill those needs just really gets them up in the morning, you know. So all these 27 core motivations are, are really fascinating to see what orients, uh, what gets different people going. And the interesting thing is there's a lot of overlap in the kind of accomplishments we can end up with, but we get there for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what gets somebody to finish, you know, to do a construction job? Well, there's, there's a person who wants to experience the ideal. They, they understand what, it, what a beautiful floor looks like, and they really want to make that floor mm -hmm. for the sake of making a beautiful floor, want to experience that ideal. Um, somebody else may love to collaborate, and what they really love is the teamwork that comes together to make that new floor. That's what really gets them excited. Somebody else um, loves to, to, to comprehend and express so they, they've never really made a floor before or they've never, you know, had this kind of floor. They want to learn how to do it and they really want to do it. They may be less motivated to do it the fourth, fifth, or 30th time, but they were excited about it the first five times. Fair enough. So you can, you can end up with a great floor for a lot of different reasons. And, and again, in terms of ourselves, being in touch with what gets up in, us up in the morning, what I get excited about is is really important and then as we get to know different motivations and as we get to know our collaborators or our you know our contractors kind of get in a sense of what what's really satisfying to you about this you know some people are just satisfied by the paycheck you're exactly right mm -hmm. they're really more interested in what the paycheck gives them than in what it takes to get the paycheck some people are excited about the job some people are excited about working together some people are excited about the kind of personal recognition that it leads to, um, you know, so a lot of different things that can motivate us. And again, that's going to be a different, everybody has a kind of unique motivational blueprint. And that's, uh, that's part of how we also discern our mission in life. You know, it's God gave us, God wants us to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And he gave us a certain pathways that make us satisfied because he wants us to do certain things. And so getting to know our own motivational blueprint is, is part of fulfilling the will of God as well. Hmm. Never really thought of it like that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And I guess one of the perks of living in uh, living where we do is that if you're good at it or good enough at it that someone will pay you to do it, you can do it forever. Um, whatever that thing that, that, that is motivating you. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's a fun thought. Um, Cool, cool. So we covered a whole bunch of, of different topics there with the emotion. And I know that um, at least the Diocese of Pittsburgh that I'm at, we're having all kinds of emotion in, in the church right now, um, especially with, with my wife, with the fact that um, this flat out, there's half as many priests now, or there's going to be half as many priests in five years as there are now. I might be messing that statistic up, but the core concept is there's less priests. So therefore, when you have less employees, you can't do as many services. That's the way that it is. Um, and that 
makes sense to me. And I guess I'm not really getting bent out of shape as much as some other people who go, I've lived here my whole life. This is my building. How dare it ever be altered? And, you know, this is something that, that that's real. You know, I, uh, in some ways, I feel like I'm coming across as cold to everyone else because I get the realistic side of the fence. And, and yes, I mean, obviously, I like the building. It's very pretty. And, you know, I understand that it's important because there's a lot of family history there. But that doesn't magically make 100 new priests show up just because you like it. So, you know, I, I bring that up because that's something that's very real that's ongoing very much around me right now <laughs> so and it just seemed like it kind of fit in the emotional conversation well and if i if i may say so joe the uh you know the the number of priests is only is only a fraction of of the situation and and what's amazing about the diocese of pittsburgh is they're really trying to address the root which is an incredible undertaking, but it's a whole culture. Mm-hmm. And, and the basic concept is moving from a culture of maintenance to a culture of evangelization. And so uh, they're not just addressing the lack of priests, but in a sense, why, why are there a lack of priests? Because there's a lack of faithful. Yeah. Because there's a lack of faith. Because there's a lack of evangelization. Because we're, we're meeting the needs of the people who are showing up, celebrating all the funerals, celebrating all the weddings, celebrating all the baptisms, having daily mass, just sort of doing maintenance, meeting the minimum requirements. But we haven't really reversed engines and turned on the evangelization. We're just in a defensive posture. We've never developed an offense. And so until we move from maintenance to evangelization, there aren't going to be enough, there's not going to be enough faith so there's not going to be enough faithful. So there's not going to be enough priests because the priests come from the faithful. So uh, that's that's what Pittsburgh is doing in a very exciting way, is really trying to shift a culture to address the root of the problem, rather than just kind of putting a band-aid on one particular symptom, which is lack of priests. It also happens to be lack of money, which mm-hmm. again goes back to lack of faith and lack of faithful. Yeah. There are lots of people in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, but there aren't a lot of, of zealous practicing Catholics. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, you know, there isn't, well, and that's, that's connected with other things. I mean, there's a certain clericalism where there's a, uh, Archbishop Shapu talks about that in his book as well, Strangers in a Strange Land, and says, there's a kind of clericalism where the lay faithful say, oh, I guess the priests are the ones who do all the evangelizing. You know, the priests are the ones who should be doing all the work. The priests are the ones that are making the church go. And that's not the case. <laughs> and if we if we keep waiting for that, number one, people aren't going to become priests because who wants to take that on? And number two, the people who really need to be making the church go, who are people like yourself, and you are, Joe, mm-hmm. and that's why we're having this podcast, <laughs> among other things. You know, the people who need to be making the church go aren't going to be doing it because they're waiting for somebody else. So the mo- the, the shift the gear shift in Pittsburgh, which is radical. And one of the consequences, and that's where people get stuck on the symptoms, and you're not, which is beautiful, but the symptoms of you know, losing my building or losing my pastor or losing my you know, conveniences or my entitlements or my whatever, the things that I like, 
about you know being a Catholic in Pittsburgh, well, we got to go back to what it means to be Catholic, mm-hmm. what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's really a big thrust. That's why it's called on mission mm-hmm. for the church alive, because that's what we need. We need the church to be alive, and it's not going to be alive unless we're on mission. And that means not maintenance, but evangelization. Yeah, I wish that that was the um, part of that core message they tried giving, because when they first went around and essentially let everyone know that this was on the horizon, they had they gave like this two-hour PowerPoint presentation to everyone. And that last four minutes he just told me right there made more sense than all of it. I mean, I, I got the core concept that there's effectively certain ratios. People who come to church, they're going to give X amount of what they earn. I'm sure that someone's figured that out. And if more people show up, by default, more money will come in. That problem fixes itself. X amount of kids become priests, whatever that percentage is. So therefore, you fix the same problem by more people arriving. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need to change the ratios. I mean, it'd be great if you did. You know, you changed it from 1% to 3% or people giving their money from 2% to 8%. You know, like all of that obviously helps as well. But it seems like the easiest core thing is just get more people there. Um, so. and, and and to take that, you know, so that's a, uh, you're, you're a businessman and so you mm-hmm. make a business calculation. But then to just take a step back and say like, we're, we're not just doing it. Uh, those are, those are, sort of collateral consequences, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but who are, what is the church? The church is by her nature missionary. Mm-hmm. The church is by her nature evangelizing. And so if we're not doing that, it's like, it's like part of what your, your heart does is beat yeah. and it cycles blood through your body. If the heart is not cycling blood, then things start dying in your body. Yeah. And on the one hand, you could say, well, I want my heart to start beating so that my hand, you know, isn't numb anymore. Well, I want my heart to start beating because that's what my heart's supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and and then everything else will kind of fit into place. The things we're aware of and the things that we're not aware of. We might be aware of our hands, but there are other things dying in us because the heart is not beating. Mm-hmm. And that's the church that's not evangelizing is is like a body without a beating heart. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, that's why we want the heart to beat in the diocese of Pittsburgh and you know all over the all over the church. This is really the message of Pope Francis: the joy of the gospel, uh, the joy of evangelization. And so uh, that's what we're doing in Pittsburgh: is trying to get the heart to start beating again. And then we'll have more priests and more money and more faithful and more services and more churches and more whatever else. But mm-hmm. if the heart's not beating. You can keep trying to extract another priest from the mix, but it's not going to work real well. And that makes sense. So with today's cast basically being all about emotion with a couple of different examples thrown in there, um, you know, what are the appropriate emotions that people should be feeling to get through there? Because essentially what I'm seeing is a lot of anger from loss. And that to me seems like the wrong emotion. Getting back to the first statement I made is when you react out of, that kind of emotion, you're going to do the wrong thing. So what are the, the, the positive emotions from a highly emotional situation that, that we should be focusing towards to, 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 to get the motor running, to, to get it going in the right direction? 
Well, and again, anger isn't a bad thing as long as it has the right object. So if we were angry at the fact that we haven't lived our faith well and that motivated us to change and we have the courage to face the ways that we haven't lived our faith well, that we haven't been part of the pro- part of the solution rather than just contributing to the problem or complaining about it, anger can be very helpful. And uh, But we have to have the right object for our anger, which is not you know, the people who are trying to make a difference, yeah. but rather the, the failures that we have also been a part of and need to change. So again, those two beautiful children of hope are anger and courage. We have to be angry enough at the situation and then have the courage to do something about it. The willingness to take a risk, as Bishop Zubik and his council and, the, you know, the whole church uh, has, has taken on this huge risk to make some massive changes mm-hmm. uh, and that takes a lot of courage. It's been a lot of courage at work. So we do well to have some courage and get on board with that and take some risks in our own lives. You know, again, to highlight what you're doing, Joe, we're having this podcast because you took a, re- a risk and you reached out to me and you're willing to take on a commitment to help produce these podcasts and make them available. And, you know, and you're so kind and patient to keep working around my schedule mm-hmm. and you keep, you know, but you, you put yourself out on a limb. And, and you're not getting a lot back from that in terms of some, you know, sort of superficial worldly thing. You're getting back something from that, I think, in your own life and your own satisfaction and your own contribution. But anyway, the, the point is you took a risk. It takes courage to take a risk. And um, we certainly can lament what's being lost, and we can mourn that, and we can be angry that there was, you know, Things were handled badly. Again, we want to make sure we include ourselves in that, but we can be angry at how the enemy has attacked us and and taken down certain things. We can mourn the losses. Those are fine emotions to have, but we don't want to get stuck there in self-pity and blame and just cynicism and negativity. We want that to be carried by hope. Hope is so crucial. And then we want to find the joy of doing what we can do. Instead of just complaining about what's going wrong and what we can't do, just like you're doing, Joe, do what you can. And then to experience the joy of that. Take satisfaction in that. Uh, maybe all you can do is share the faith with your neighbor. Maybe it's just to pray. Maybe you can organize something at, at your workplace. You know, whatever. All of us can make a contribution. I just met this guy uh, in Pittsburgh that got fired up about the whole opioid crisis. And he really felt the Lord placing it on his heart, like, do something. And he didn't know what to do. So, he made an appointment with Bishop Molesic, who wrote a pastoral letter on that. Bishop Molesic, he's not even a member of the Diocese of Greensburg. But Bishop Molesic met with him. He made an appointment with me because he hears me on the radio. And we talked. I gave him some ideas. Bishop Molesic gave him some ideas. And he's taking the ball and running with it. And he's excited about it. Mm-hmm. He's not going to change the whole opioid crisis. But could he take care of some youth that are at risk? Give them a nice meal and let them experience what a healthy family looks like? Sure, you can do that. You know, can he reach out and some people that are being forgotten, left behind, hurting? Can he? Yeah, he can help those people. And it's exciting for him. You know, so joy is a good feeling when we're doing what we ought to be doing. Uh, And then the enthusiasm that comes with having a mission and having hope. We can get excited about things. Like you're getting excited about selling a house, Mm -hmm. and that motor pushes you forward to make the next deal and to meet with the next person. We should be excited about that with our faith, too. How can we share the gospel? We should get excited when it takes hold and it takes root in someone's heart. 
and they they start to change their lives and we see the good there so those are a few of the emotions that can that can move us forward and being more zealous in our faith perfect perfect well i thank you for that father giving us a whole lot of examples that we can do moving forward here in our week um, again we thank everyone out there for listening please you know Take the risk and, and give us a, not like it's a hard risk, but giving us the retweet of Father and Joe when we do it on Twitter. Um, whatever subscri- subscription site you're getting our podcast from, please give us a review. That does increase our likelihood of someone else finding us in a future search. And again, just please tell people around you about the cast we're doing here so we can you know, keep it growing and, and keep spreading the message to try to improve the situation. So again, thank you very much, Father, and we'll be with you all here next week.